Welcome back to the Breakfast Show. That was uh, we, we, we've just sort of uh, been getting into Brenton Lowe's interview, and uh, that was his, the first half of the interview. And we've got a, a second half that's going to be coming up right next with Lyle and Minnie. And um, yeah, so I'll uh, hand it back to the guys. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so we've got Brendan Lowe here in the studio this morning, and Brendan was here, I think it was last Friday, was it? Yeah, that's right. Yep, and uh, we were so interested in what Brendan had to say that we invited him, I invited him back again this week. Uh, Brendan is a literature evangelist, he's in charge of literature evangelism for, what, the South Pacific? Australia, New Zealand. Australia, New oh, Zealand. Nice. Yeah, Australia, New Zealand, which is a big chunk of territory. So you've got quite a team that is working under you. Literature evangelism is, I guess, a ministry in which you minister to people and reach out to people through literature. Brendan, how did you get started in literature evangelism? Well, I think I mentioned um, last time I was here that I grew up reading the Bible stories and how they impacted my faith at an early age. And, you know, that just those stories of faith really ground you. And, and I feel that helped me through the teen years because when I come to the teen years, are pretty rocky, as, as many, many of us have experienced. And you try and discover, you know, who you are and that sort of thing. But then I lost my brother. Mm. He died mm. uh, at the age of 15. Oh, that's awesome. And I went through a number of crises through life. And, you know, we all have them, but, you know, they're all different. Anyway, I got to the, the late teens and, and maybe early 20s. So that was a good 20 years ago. And, and I was on this uh, crossroads. It's like, you know, where am I going in life? Um, I had this emptiness. I, I knew about God. I knew I had this head knowledge, but like there was a disconnect. You know, I, I read the Bible, but I never really spent time, you know, in just absorbing it. And so I challenged God. I said, look, God, I really want to know you better. And so I began reading my Bible half an hour each day. I thought that I should do something about it. <laughs> so that was my part. And so I began reading half an hour each day, just in the Gospels, just slowly reading and praying over it. And you know what? God got me. He changed my life. And, Praise God. You know, instead of it went from a head knowledge to a in a heartfelt experience, and I could see God's great love for me, how my God died for me. My God died for me and for us. And that's a great challenge right there, I think. If there's somebody out there listening today, if you're listening today and you've never really had an experience with God, just give it a try. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Spend half an hour every day reading your Bible and commit yourself that to you know several months, whatever, and see if it doesn't change your life. Mm, yeah. It has a powerful impact on every person I have ever come across who has, um, who has actually done that. Yeah. And so when you go from being empty to full, you know, you've you got to share it with someone. You know, it's just like when you have that newborn baby, you've got to, got to show your baby off to everyone. <laughs> and, and so that's what I just want to do. I had to share it. But, you know, I, I grew up on a farm and, and I worked on a farm. And it was like well, I knew how to talk to sheep and dogs, but I didn't see too many people, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, we went to, into town every fortnight. That's our, our you know, existence. How far away was town? It was about an hour and 15 minutes. Okay. Mm. So, you know, not that far, but in those, days, in those days we didn't often go into town. We'd just work. Sure. So anyway, I began praying about it 
And I was going around and around on the track one day and, and, and I was struggling with this. And, and then this thought came into my mind. I was like, hey, look, you know, all this is going to burn one day. I want you to plant gospel seeds, seeds for my kingdom mm. um, and to help people. And so the short of it really is, is that God led me into literature ministry, which, which is a great ministry in that we can be a friend. Like, you know, like Jesus at the well, we can understand people's needs and connect it to the spiritual needs. And um, we just be a friend and share literature that speaks hope into their life. How old were you around that time? I would have been uh, 19, 20. Yeah, yeah, right. So still like pretty young. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And this was in Western Australia down near... Uh, Esperance. Esperance, that's yeah. right. Esperance, Western yeah. Australia. And I think as a young person, it can be a challenge to share your faith. Mm. And so for me, it was just an amazing way to do that. That's fantastic. So how many years have you done literature evangelism for? Just over 20. There you go. Yeah, show my age now. <laughs> Did you? Okay, so we're going to do some calculations here. We'll get this figured out. Um, I was going to say, when you, because it sounds like you're a little bit away from town, did you have friends or family who kind of were also on board with this journey with you or did it feel a little bit like isolated? Like, I just had this awesome like experience with God, like need to share, but people are kind of not as excited as I am. Like, how was that part of that experience? Or was it just not even into your I think I think it grew. I'm not mm. sure if I really... Uh, you know, once I discovered what I wanted to do and what God wanted me to do, once I discovered that purpose, um, my family supported me in it. Mm. And and I think that was important. But, yeah, I think you, that renewed experience, that, you know, that heart change is, is often a quiet thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's amazing. So you've spent 20 years doing literature evangelism. You must just have a host of stories that have built up over that time of you know divine appointments. I know I did literature evangelism for a couple of years, and uh, you know there is there is nothing like you know when a bunch of literature evangelists get together and start swapping stories of what God is doing because you are really right out there at the coalface where you see God's hand at work. That's true. How long have you got? Well, let's see. We have seven <laughs> minutes and 44 seconds. How many stories can you squeeze in in that much time? Look, I'll share one with you. Sure. Okay. Um, look, this is an amazing story. And, and a friend of mine um, from Western Australia, before I moved here, I'd only been here for about uh, 12, 18 months. And, and he said, look, he's, he came up to me at camp and he says, I've got an amazing story. I've got to share this with you. And I says, oh, okay, that's good. And I, I got busy and I never really got back to him and eventually – I saw him. I says, oh, what's the story? And he says, look, you've got to hear this. He said, this lady, she'd never been to church before, walked in the church with her daughter. And I said, well, that's interesting. How did that happen? He says, well, um, she's, she's written it in a diary. And so when I was in the um, area next, I popped around and said hello. And she gave me her diary to share. And, and she, tells, oh, oh, she tells how she was an addict, a quiet addict, for 30 years. Mm, that's a long time. It is. That's a very, very bedded in addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rusted on addiction. Yeah. And she says, look, um, I just began withdrawing from people. And she was at this point in her life um, where she was just in deep, deep despair. Um, and she'd withdrawn, she wasn't talking to her friends, and, and, and that's the thing. She was alone, she was quiet, she was hurting. And 
And then one day she was, she was scratching, scratching and hoping to win some money to change her life. <laughs> and and she she was scratching on the back of this book. She'd bought a few books from me. Yeah. Um, they'd been opened, but this one hadn't. It was still in the wrapper, and she was scratching it. She didn't win anything, but then she looked down at the book, and something caught her attention about you know how God can help. Okay, her. so she had a scratchy, and she was using the book just kind of like as a. Yeah. As a, I, I guess a, a mobile desktop in, on which right. to, to, to scratch against. That's right. Yeah. So she, she's using, resting it up against the hard cover of the book. That's right. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, I was thinking there for a moment. <laughs> she's scratching on the back of the book. I don't remember the Ellie's selling books with scratches on them. No. But That's she's true. Using, she's using it as a, uh, as, as a hard, a hard, a hard, uh, yeah. a hard background. But you know what? She won something more than that. Mm. And she tells here. Let, let me just share share her story in her words. I think it's powerful. And she says, hey, look, um, she used to push away anyone um, who talked to her about religion. She tried, dabbled in a few different things like Wiccan and that sort of thing. Um, but if people want to talk to her about God, she pushed them away. And, and then she says, um, I don't know what made me open that book, but I'm a firm believer that God did not exist. Um, and, and I push everyone away. As I read, I could feel a change. My heart started jolting and tears filled my eyes. My heart was crying because it felt and heard the truth for the first time. By the time I'd finished the second chapter, it was like a wave thundering over me, a tide of emotion and a love that I never felt before. God was with me right then and asked me to accept him. Without hesitation, my heart Leaping with joy and relief and love, screamed yes. Wow. That's amazing. She had tried to find love in all the wrong places, she says. Mm-hmm. But here through this, the message of a book, at the right time, mm. God could speak hope and love into her life and transform her life. She goes on to say that being an addict for 30 years, she never felt a single craving when she put it away. Wow. What That's amazing. Yeah. That's an amazing story. How long? Were those books in her home before she actually opened them? Three years. Three years. Wow. That See, this is one of the things that I think that, you know, we kind of miss when it comes to literature evangelism is we expect, oh, you're a literature evangelist. That means that you're something like a public evangelist. A public evangelist goes and does a program and four weeks later has a bunch of baptisms. Literature evangelism doesn't really work like that, does it? (laughs) No, it's a seed sowing business or ministry, I should say. Um, it's just planting gospel seeds, and it's the Holy Spirit that waters. And, and you know, that might be quickly, like we see some, but then others, t- you know, it's just like my life. God never gave up on me. Mm. He keeps, you know, he keeps gradually working our lives, speaking his love into our life until the right time. And this is one of the, one of the great values that I see in books. When a book goes into a home, you never, particularly a quality book like what you're selling, you know, hardcovers and so forth, when it goes into a home, you never, you never know where it's going to end up. You never know what impact it's going to have. Mm. And you never know when that impact is going to hit. We produce a lot of digital media, which is good and it goes out there and it does its thing. But, you know, if you hand somebody a USB stick, Mm. it's lost within a day you know, or a week or passed on to somebody else or whatever else. And so digital media can be quite limiting, whereas, you know, books have been around for what, like the last 6,000 years? Um, They're never going away anytime soon. The batteries on them never go flat. 
they are always there and there is always an opportunity for someone to pick one up and to just simply start reading. Yeah, that's right. We got time for another story. You got any more uh, stories up your sleeve there? Uh, look, I'd probably like to, before I do, just to make sure we don't run out of time. Yes, I'd like to that's share, a good point. That's a good point. I'd like to share a little bit of um, how people, you know, if your heart is burning to share your faith, um, then how can you do that? Mm. And look, there is literature evangelism where self-employed um, LEs or independent book distributors um, distribute literature, and I was one of them for 20 years. Um, and there are hardcover books that, that could continue to speak. Look, I've seen so many times where where um, they'll be passed on from generation to generation. Yes. You know, the Bible story books, I'll see them in their home and it, that was sold to their great their grandmother, you know, that sort of thing. Four generations through my family so far. Um, you know, and look, just let's talk about that one, for example. Um, I've had so many mums and and parents that says they weren't a believer, they were a secular person before they, you know, they're in the mindset, well, hey, look, um, you know, are we running out of time? No, you're good. We're, we're, um, we're... They will say, look, you know, um, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a believer, um, but like we like our children to have a choice. Hmm. And so they will buy the Bible stories. Often they'll start in the health and then they'll continue to the Bible stories and they'll read them to their kids. And I've had so many people say, look, I accepted Jesus just through reading the Bible stories because they're just simple, they're basic, and for someone who's never had a faith before, they speak hope into their life. That's interesting because those Bible stories are written for children. I often, when I'm meeting somebody who is becoming a Christian and has no background in faith, I often recommend them, look, just go and get the Bible stories by Arthur Maxwell and just read those. Yeah, They are easy to read. They're not complicated. They are not childish even though they're written for ch- children and if you want to be able to answer the quizzes here on faith fm just uh <laughs> get a hold of a set of those bible stories and go read them yeah so that's one way you can do it there's another way where anyone can do it look i uh, just over the last couple of months uh using sanitized hands of course um 400,000 of these tracks have gone out um, That's the coronavirus versus your immune system track. Yes, so and you've just been letterboxing. Yeah, mm. look, when people during during the stage three, stage four might be different. The stage three lockdown, um, many people just using sanitized hands when they're exercising, just pop them in the box. You can speak hope. There's sharing books uh, um, that people can share with their neighbours and their friends. So there's so many different ways you can do it. So you don't have to to deal with the pressure of selling if you feel that that is too much for you. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Just share it, uh, be a friend, and just have something. Listen to people's needs and just ha- have something always with you. Now, these fit in your pocket, which is great. Um, when I go on holidays, I like to take them with me and just to, to leave around, <laughs> um, you know. Perfect. And, and I know a lot of senior people will take sharing books and they travel in the caravan parks and, and they'll leave them in the caravan parks and that sort of thing. And this coronavirus and your immune system, when we first saw it came out, we thought, oh, well, this will be relevant for the next month. <laughs> now we know it's going to be relevant for the next 18 months. Who knows how long? And so, yeah, let's get these things and let us, let's get as many of them out as we possibly can. Unfortunately, we have run out of time this time. 
We've uh, gone into a bit of extra time there, Brenton, but uh, really appreciate what you've got to share with us. If you'd like to share some coronavirus and your immune system tracks, then give us a call here on 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491 064 669. My faith has found a resting place not in device or creed I trust the ever-living one His wounds for me shall plead I need no other argument I need no other plea It is enough that Jesus died fear and doubt a sinful soul I come to him he'll never cast me going to be continuing on with the second encounter with God. This is the second day and it's it's they're talking about discipleship and and sharing a testimony. So today's what we've got coming up next is really really powerful stuff and we'd really I'd like to really strong, strongly encourage you to stick around for that and continue listening. And as encounter with God section here on Faith FM, which means that we're about to get stuck into our Bible study. Super excited to finish out the story of Paul and Agrippa, but we have from a listener who wants to speak about the story that we had in the more serious news section about assisted suicide mm. and the possible legalization of assisted suicide for people who are mentally ill or struggling from you know emotional problems rather than people who are terminally ill. Yeah, that's a very important... He says this, he says, From my personal experience, when you're suicidal, you cannot process thoughts normally. Mm. 
My last suicidal attempt was in 2007 and so grateful to God for saving me. God now uses me to bring happiness to others. Powerful testimony there. And this is one of the reasons. This, this, this testimony here highlights the reason why this legislation is so bad. And it also leads exactly into our Bible study today too. It does lead into our Bible study today. All right, let me just see if I've got any other ones coming through here. Uh, let me just see here. Nope, that one's not for that one's not for Faith FM. That's for me. All right. Okay. Okay. Let me see. What do we? Okay. Our Bible study. What is our Bible study? You say this one leads into our Bible study. Well, yeah. That man's testimony. The bravery for him to text in and say, "I struggle. I I committed suicide. I attempted to try to commit suicide. Multiple Praise times. God, it didn't. It didn't work." But that, you know, I personally have not attempted suicide. And so he is going to connect with people that I could never connect with. I cannot sit down with somebody and say, I know what it's like to be on the brink of wanting to kill myself compared to somebody like that to say, hey, look, I've been there. I fought it. Let's fight it together. That is like the, the power of a personal testimony, which is what God is asking us to have is our own personal testimony. And it's not like as if this person has been struggling in the last week or so. This was something that they struggled with. Multiple attempts, you know, are implied in the text message back, you know, um, in 2007, and they haven't been back there since 2007. They haven't gone back to those thoughts and those um, attempts since 2007, and that shows that the power of God to transform somebody's life is real, mm. and that if you are thinking dark thoughts, sad things today. Um, and you want to end your life, you know, here's somebody who has um, had just an incredibly blessed and productive life and is praising God um, since 2007. And I also think his um, testimony is really prevalent right now because we're having um, a rise in suicides because of yes. COVID-19 and the fear factor and the economic failure is real to people and they just don't see the hope. And so this man, by him choosing to text in, is an incredibly powerful, encouraging word to somebody right now that may be thinking it's just too hard. If uh, if you've got a testimony that you would like to share, one eight hundred faith faith FM is the number to call, or you can text us on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. We would love to share your testimony here on Faith FM, and that way you also can be a blessing to others. We do know that there are many people who listen to our radio station who struggle with these kinds of things, and of course, if you are struggling with uh, dark thoughts yourself today then just give us a call. Just have a chat with somebody. Please. Um, and, of course, you know we're not available all the time, 24-7, like um, some organizations, so give Lifeline a call. You know, there, are, there are people there, 24-7, who are there to help you and to help you realize that you can experience what this particular individual has experienced and, uh, and, and be able to receive you know, a similar blessing of just you know, years and years and years and years and years of being a blessing to other people. Definitely. You know, stories have been a part of our way of life since the beginning of time. That was how traditions were passed on as orally talked and, you know, grandparents told the stories and that's how life came to be was stories. And um, the day that we live in now, we do stories via the television. But there's nothing like sitting down with somebody and just learning their story um, and being able to listen to their story and, and share in their story. It becomes part of your story. Yes, it does. And this is what we see happening in our lesson yep. here today where Paul, and we're in Acts chapter 26 for those of you who 
uh, may have missed part of the Bible study yesterday, Acts chapter 26. And here we have Paul standing before Agrippa. Now, Agrippa is a Roman. He is a convert to Judaism, so he understands Judaism very well. Um, Paul is witnessing to Agrippa about the resurrection. And he, and he begins by saying, you know, why would, it, why would it be strange for me to believe in the resurrection? Why would it be strange for me to preach the resurrection? Wouldn't it actually be hypocritical not to believe in the resurrection uh, because I'm a Pharisee? You know, I was, I was raised as a Pharisee, and that's the foundational doctrine of the Pharisees. They believe in the resurrection, unlike the Sadducees. That was the big thing that they used to fight over. But then he goes on to share his testimony. He's like, well, why do I believe in the resurrection? I believe in the resurrection because I've met Jesus Christ himself personally. And he shares that experience. And he doesn't have, we talked about this yesterday, he doesn't have, you know, the same level of experience of, you know, Peter, James, John, the other disciples, the other 12 disciples, because they spent, you know, an entire ministry with Jesus. Whereas Paul met Jesus for all of about 30 seconds. Now, we did have somebody else who texted in after the show yesterday to point out that, you know, Paul did go out into the desert and did um, spend three years there studying in the desert. Um, and, you know, received obviously further instruction from Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so he did have, you know, obviously significant instruction and study and so forth, um, more than just this 30 seconds, but his face-to-face experience with Jesus, you know, was just a very short moment in time, and it completely transformed his life. And he's not scared to talk about it. No. You know, he, he's, he's proud to stand up and say, yeah, I had, I had 30 seconds with Jesus and it, it changed my life. Whereas, you know, uh, Peter, James, John, the other disciples were like, yeah, we had a whole ministry with Jesus. Well, you know, everyone was very comfortable talking about this um, resurrection doctrine in the future. But when it came to the present, all of a sudden it was like, whoa, I, I, I believe in this, but, but in the future, not now. How would you feel? If you had somebody who was close to you who died and uh, you heard about it and you heard that somebody prayed over them and they came back to life again. I would be flabbergasted. Yeah, I think we would. That sort of says something. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. I mean, the reality is, is the power of God to raise the dead any less available today than it was when, say, Eutychus or Tabitha were raised from the dead? Yeah, you know, you struggle with that. You struggle with that big time when, you know, my my best friend died of cancer when I was 18. And we prayed like crazy, you know, that God would heal her. And then when she passed, I didn't even think about praying that God would resurrect her. You know, like, yeah, do I believe God has the power? But have I ever personally asked for God to resurrect somebody? No, I definitely have not. Mm. Mm. And it's one of those things that, you know, you sort of you hear about it every now and then and you think, yeah, really? You know, I don't know. Sure. You know, do, do I really believe? You know, and I think we're, a, we're, we're kind of in the same situation as they were back then. We have no problem preaching about the resurrection at the second coming of Jesus. But believing it right now? Yeah. You know? You'd be skeptical. Were they really dead? Or, yeah. Or like, you know, when you're asked to pray as a pastor, I'm sure you've been asked many times to go into the hospital room and pray for them. Do we pray boldly that God will heal them right there on the spot? Or constantly being like, oh, you know, Lord, it's your will, whatever. You know, we're like using that as our, our buffer. Or are we, when do we know how to just boldly ask in faith? A friend of my father's was a missionary in Papua New Guinea. 
uh, for quite a number of years. And one time in a very, very remote village on a ridgetop, um, they could hear across the valley on the other side, they could hear um, a, a lot of commotion. And they didn't sort of know what was happening, uh, but they did get the message that was passed across the valley. Eventually, they found out that a young child had died, you know, overnight. And so the next day, they left that village. It took them all day to go down to the bottom of the valley and up the other side, because that's kind of how it is traveling in Papua New Guinea. And when they got there, you know, the uh, the child was dead. And so the missionary is like, well, you know, this is what you do. You, uh, you comfort the mother and bury the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get a funeral service organized. But he was traveling with um, one of the local pastors. The local pastor took the child in his hand and said, Lord, you gave this child life um, and it's now died and you can give it life again. We ask that you give this child life again. Wow. And it came back to life again. Wow. You know, and, and, and he was just illustrating, you know, as a Westerner, he would never have ever had that level of faith. Wow. I mean, the other thing that I think we need to bear in mind is that, you know, what are there, eight resurrections in the Bible? So over a space of, you know, 14, 1500 years, you've got eight resurrections. Not something that God is doing a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when God does do so, he does do so for uh, very specific reasons. But the simple reality is that the power of God to resurrect the dead hasn't changed. Anyway, I'm sidetracked. I don't know how I got stuck on this sidetrack. Well, that's an awesome testimony. So then that can lead into the power of personal testimony. That child will have a testimony like none other. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so we've got this story here, Acts chapter 26. Um, and, you know, starting in, oh, where does he start? He starts like back in verse 9, somewhere thereabouts. And he shares his story and he shares his experience with Jesus Christ. Where did we get up to yesterday? Verse 23, um, when he's finishing talking about the job of his to reach out to the Gentiles, okay. to give them a, um, the hope of forgiveness and inheritance. All right, let's go to verse 24. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak, freely knows these things. For I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Okay, let's, 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 let's we, we just hold back from the, from the, from the next bit. Um, talking about Paul's testimony right here, we've got a, somebody texting through who says that the demoniacs only had one conversation with Jesus before being sent to do missionary work. We, we, t- we covered this story earlier in the week. Uh, the demoniac or demoniacs, because it depends which account you read. There was one or there was two. Obviously, one of them was the leader. And one conversation with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he just sends them out. Yeah. And they're powerful. And they just go and share their testimony. Yep. And then when Jesus comes back, the entire village The is whole ready. region. Yes. The whole region is like, yes. Yes. You know, it's, 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 it's a crazy story because you've got, um, yeah, you've got the, the first, they're like, no, go away, go away. So he goes away. And, 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 and the demoniac's like, I want to come with you. Yeah. He's like, no, you can't. You've got to stay here. Yeah. And then think about this. He literally plants the seeds that Jesus himself harvest. Yes. I mean, think about that. That's incredible that Jesus harvest the seeds planted by a former demoniac. It just goes to show the incredible privilege is to be a servant of God. Yes. 
because God does amazing things with what we do. And it doesn't matter your background or where you've come. It matters what you choose now. Yeah. That's yes. what it comes down to. What you choose this minute and today is what gives you where you have any hope. It certainly does. Let's go back to verse 24 here and let's look at Festus's uh, reaction. So Paul has shared his personal testimony. And how does Festus react? We're going to look at Festus' reaction. We're going to look at Agrippa's reaction. How does Festus react? Well, Festus thinks he's mad. Okay. He thinks he's studied too much for some so reason. So Festus is your typical skeptical, secular Roman. Yeah. Now, what is interesting is that Festus recognizes that he is listening to the words of a very, very well-educated individual. You know, yeah. he's not dealing with a lightweight here. And so this is, this is obviously challenging for Festus because you've got somebody, you know, it's not somebody who's just sort of grown up in, uh, you know, a low, so, low socioeconomic environment and doesn't have a whole lot of education and is super superstitious. And, and when you had, it's important to understand this about the ancient world. In the ancient world, the level of superstition and religiosity often varied according to your socioeconomic status. So the higher you climbed in the socioeconomic ladder, um, the more of the secrets of the mystery religion were revealed to you. So, for instance, if you were low on that particular ladder, um, you would be you know, very much into, you know, this God does this, this, the other God does that, we pray to this God for this thing, we, we, we go to that God for something else, and these gods were all personal beings. They were sometimes very bad personal beings. Um, they were very human-like if you were a pagan, and so you had all these different gods that, you know, they'd kill people, and they would have affairs, and they would have children, and all of this kind of thing would be taking place amongst these gods. They were pretty much a, a, a bunch of just slightly more powerful humans um, who were mythical. And uh, as you progressed through the mystery religion and as you reached the higher levels of the mystery religion, the mystery religions of the past were almost all atheist. So how do you have an atheist religion? Well, basically what it was, was that all of these different gods were a personification of the forces of nature. And so when you're initiated into the higher levels, you weren't actually believing that there was such a thing as a personal God who was out there doing things. You're saying, you know, these are, these are representatives of the force of nature and nature is the most powerful thing and nature has created everything and we worship nature rather than worshiping the creator of nature. And so Festus, you know, he's high up. There's very, very high likelihood that he is a very secular person. He's like... This is all sent you mad. You, Paul, you've gone nuts. You're an educated person, and I and, and it's obviously, it's obviously, you know, he's struggling with this idea that how can an educated person, who is obviously very high on the rung, actually believe in a personal God and actually believe in a resurrection? Yeah. So his only conclusion is he's gone insane. Agrippa, on the other hand, he is high up, and. Uh, he responds in a different way because he's under deep conviction. Uh, read for us the next verse, please. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. So that's powerful and sad. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Almost persuaded, but just didn't make it. What do you think about that during this next song? We'll be back to talk more about it. Almost 
persuaded now to believe almost persuaded Christ to receive seems now some soul to say go spirit go your way some more convenient day on the I'll call almost persuaded come come today almost persuaded turn not away Jesus invite you here angels are lingering near prayers rise from hearts so dear oh wanderer come almost persuaded harvest is past almost persuaded doom comes at last almost cannot avail almost is but to fail sad sad that bitter wail almost but lost almost but lost has to be one of the most tragic stories anywhere in the Bible and just listening to Tennessee Ernie Ford right then singing Almost Persuaded it just really, really impacts my heart, my mind every time. The tragedy of somebody who came so close to salvation and missed out. And I just want to say, if you're listening today and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and you sense the voice of the Holy Spirit, that's not coming from me, it's not coming from Angela, it's not coming from anyone here on the team. That's coming to you from God. Mm. And what are you going to do about the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now? Are you going to be almost persuaded and come so close? Or are you going to embrace Jesus Christ and really experience the power of God in your life? Because you can do that right now. And so if you're listening right now and you're listening to this story and you're listening to the story of Agrippa and you are convicted and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, give your life to Jesus now. You might be wondering how. It's like, well, maybe how do I give my life to Jesus Christ? I have no idea how to give my life to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, it's really simple. And just talk to him. Just talk. Just talk to him. Yep. Yep. And just say to Jesus, I want to give my life 
to yeah. you. And then go and look down, look up some other Christians. Give us a call here on Faith FM. You know, 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text us on 0491-064-669. Um, we'd be happy to help you out. It's important to surround yourself with other Christians, people that can support you and guide you in your Christian journey. But the first step is giving your life to Jesus Christ. And you can do that. You don't have to wait until the end of the breakfast show. We will forgive you if you should, if you shut off the breakfast show just this once to have a conversation with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This it will be the single most important decision that you ever made. Yeah. Just tell him how you feel. That's what Paul did on yep. the Damascus Road, and uh, it changed his life. And two thousand years later, we're talking about Paul. Yeah. Because of the power of the influence of that he had as a result of his decision. And millions look up to Paul. Every single one of us here in the studio has a testimony of us giving our lives to Jesus Christ and the impact that it has had on our lives. And we can all testify to what God can do in your life. So, yeah. Just make that decision. Make Amen. it right now. Don't hold back. I feel excitement. I'm sure the angels are rejoicing. Yeah. As people are talking to Jesus. Even those of us who have committed to him already this morning, do it again. Just, just talk to him. He longs to just hear you talk to him. And that's a really great segue into what I want to mm-hmm. talk about next. Um, and, and I'm almost... We're supposed to do another clue for the quiz, and we're going to have to because nobody's got it yet. But I'm almost loath to... Because I don't want to distract from the appeal that the Word of God has made this morning. You know, sometimes I make an appeal here on Faith FM, but, you know, this is the Bible making an appeal. We've had an appeal from the Word of God. We've had an appeal that Paul has made. We've had an appeal in salt. Um, and I don't want to distract from that. The most important thing right now is not winning the quiz um, at the, you know, winning, winning the prize that we're going to, a box of wheat bix <laughs> That's most nothing import- compared to eternal life. Most important thing to win right now mm. is eternal life. Yes. So make that decision for Jesus Christ and do that right now. Um, well, you know, I picked a clue. Yes. Um, because maybe the Lord knew why I chose three cards. Maybe it wasn't just to be vindictive towards you. Maybe it was because then I'd have an option okay. to then, you know, connect with what we're talking about to a degree. So what you're saying is that the Holy Spirit had a role in your vindictiveness. <laughs> 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 no, let's... Uh, um, let's... Hey, the, the God works in so many mysterious ways to reach our heart. That's what's so incredible is he's actively seeking after each one of us. So this clue is the number of days that Saul... Paul was blind after encountering the Lord on his way to Damascus. So how many days did Paul struggle after he was faced with the Lord? How many days did he sit there and say, Lord, I've messed up. Yeah. What do I do? It's yes. hopeless. I am such a mess. How could you ever take me back? I mean, he's haunted with the children, with the, the woman, the old people that he had taken off, carted off to jail to not a great death. And he's haunted by these. And so he struggles. For how long does he struggle before somebody comes and touches him. An amazing story. And can you imagine being the person who goes to, uh, you know, Ananias, who goes to Paul and, and heals, mm-hmm. you know, the greatest persecutor of Christianity. Yep. 
Uh, it's just a, a powerful part of that story. But yeah, how many days? Okay, so that's a really good clue right there. If you know how many days Paul was blind for, then do give us a call 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669. And have courage because if God can reach Paul, who's caused horror to thousands, what can Jesus do with your life to turn around it? Absolutely. Something that I want to draw out of this Bible study that we've been working our way through is how effective would Paul's testimony have been if it was just a one-off event? And and the reason I'm asking that question is that when Paul stands before you know Festus and Agrippa, um, this he is standing there because he has lived a life as a servant of Jesus Christ. His conversion experience was not a one-off event. It was not one of those kind of events where um, you know, maybe he heard an altar call, something or other, gave his life to Jesus Christ. Okay, done that, tick that box, now get on with my life. His experience was he gave his life to Jesus Christ and now Jesus Christ got on with his life because Jesus Christ was in charge of his life. Yeah. I come across some people who, when I ask them whether they're a Christian, they're like, yes, they're, absolutely I'm a Christian but they don't practice a Christian lifestyle. And they're like, yeah, yeah I, mean, I gave my life to God. I got saved you know, when I was uh, 15 years old or something. Yeah, once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. What a tragedy right there. Look oh, at the you're missing of- out. Yeah, that's right. To, 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 to be like, oh, I have the gift, but I'm not going to live the gift. Uh-huh. All, of his, all of his rules, if you want to look at it that way, are all like power-giving, life-giving. Each yes. one of his quote-unquote restrictions are actually like, um, there's something better. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't drink. Why? Because you're going to have more senses. You're going to be able to remember your life if you don't choose to drink it away. I mean, there's in each one, it's like treat others with kindness. Oh, yeah. Then I get kindness back. (laughs) It's kind of like a no brainer, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Uh, Particularly when you look at, you know, the joy that Christians experience. And uh, it's just like, wow, you know, why would you give your life to Jesus Christ and go, okay, I've ticked that box. Um, I've secured my place in heaven, so now I will go on and live a secular life. Okay, first of all, that's not how salvation works. Uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Uh, Galatians 2 and verse 20. Angela, could you read that for us? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Was this a one-off event? No. Why do you say it's not a one-off event? What is he What is he saying in this verse right here that shows that this is not a one-off event that Paul did somewhere back in his past history, but this is actually his life? Because he says, in the life which now I live in the flesh, I live by faith. Okay, so Paul is living a life of faith. Mm-hmm. He just he hasn't just had an experience of faith. He is living a life of faith. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because he says, you know, I'm crucified with Christ. And that sort of indicates a one-off event. You know, you die once and then you're dead. But then he's alive again. And why is he alive again? Because he also says, I die daily. One of my favorite parts of the program each day is the question of the day. Now, during this year, we, we introduced a little jingle, and it, it's probably my favorite part, one of my favorite parts of the show, and I love to hear it play every single time, and it's just, it's just a little bit of energy and a little bit of, of fun that we have 
And I remember when we first started doing the little jingle, Lyle was taking a little bit to get used to it. And the next couple of encounter with God, sorry, the next couple of question of the days that we got for you, Lyle was still getting used to uh, to the little jingle. So it'd be, it, have a listen and um, yeah, it, have a, have a bit of a laugh to yourself, a bit of a chuckle. I know I certainly did when I was listening to these. So we've got two back to back. And um, yeah, so sit back. You've got two questions of the day, two great questions. So uh, so that will be coming up right after this song. This is Because He Lives. Because He Lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He Lives, all fear is gone. Because I Same God that spins things in orbit Runs to the weary, the worn and the weak And the same gentle hands that hold me when I'm broken They conquer death to bring me victory Everybody, you were listening to Anthem Lights with Because He Lives. My Redeemer lives here on Faith FM. Praise God for that. Okay, so question of the day has come through. Question of the day. All right, question of the day. Good job, Liam. As we know, getting divorced and remarried while your ex-husband or wife is still alive is classified as adultery. But for some reason, our church seems to be okay with that. I want to know how they've come to that conclusion. Okay, so divorce and remarriage. This is a very uh, vexed question in today's world because a lot of marriages do fail and for a whole bunch of different reasons. And so we need to look at the biblical, um, I guess, the biblical reasons that divorce is allowed 
And we're going to start by going to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32, where the Bible says, uh, Jesus says, But I say unto you, whoever puts away his wife except for the cause of fornication causes her to commit adultery. And whoever shall marry her that is divorced commits adultery. And so Jesus um, says that, you know, you can't just go divorcing your spouse just because you feel like being with another spouse. That's not how marriage works. And so he gives a, one exception right here, and that is sexual immorality. And we know that, you know, he, he speaks about fornication. And a lot of people say, well, that's just, you know, sex before marriage. Um, fornication, actually, in the biblical context, really does um, cover a whole broad range of sexual immorality. Um, you know, adultery, fornication, all these kind of things are kind of bunched together. And of course, this is in the context of marriage that this is happening. So this is a married person. And so um, clearly speaking about uh, sexual immorality within the marriage covenant. Okay, then the other passage that has some relevance to this and is a much more debated passage is the passage that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul spends a fair bit of time talking about relationships and he's particularly talking here to Gentile churches and homes that are divided on religious lines. Now, first of all, he says, look, uh, just don't marry somebody who is not a Christian. Don't even go there. Don't even think about it. Don't be unequally yoked. Uh, the Bible is crystal clear on that. Um, and, of course, I think all of us have seen the tremendous disasters that are the result of anybody who ever tries to go down that particular path right there. Um, but then he talks about, okay, well, what if you are married already and you're married to a non-believer? So he says, uh, if a brother has a wife that does not believe and she is pleased to live with him, let him not put her away. This is in verse 12. Uh, the woman which has a husband and believes not, and if he is pleased to live with her, don't let her leave him. In other words, don't be going and breaking up marriages just because you've become a Christian. That's not what um, Christianity is all about. Christianity is all about upholding the family and keeping the family together. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else your children were unclean, but now they are holy. And then he goes on, he says this one, but if the unbelieving departs, let him depart. In other words, if you become a Christian and your spouse says, you know, this is not what I signed up for, I signed up to be married to a, you know, a wild partying person, for instance, and this is what we had in common, and now we no longer have anything in common. He says, well, if, if that is the case, and they are leaving you because you've chosen to be a Christian, he says, let them depart. Don't fight them on it. Um, he says, a brother or a sister, and that's a reference obviously to a Christian, is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Now, the word bondage here is an interesting one. The word bondage in the Bible, uh, particularly by Paul, is used in the context of law when you are under a particular law. Now, of course, in context here, the, um, the law that is being spoken of is the marriage law that is creating bondage to each other. Uh, the word bondage you know, probably has negative connotations to us today, but um, it shouldn't necessarily be that way. And he says they are not under the marriage law in such cases. And this is why you will often find that churches will um, allow divorce and remarriage in 
circumstances that we would question, this verse here is often used very, very flexibly within Christianity today, and it's one of the tragedies of Christianity, and it probably should not be that level of flexibility. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, question of the day. We've had one that has... Question of the day. (laughs) We made it. (laughs) Yes. Liam Liam always gets me with that one. I forget to do it. Question of the day is, did Joseph take advantage of his foreknowledge and turn the Egyptians into slaves? Okay, so let's uh, talk about this for a moment. Um, Joseph received a prophecy, seven years of um, plenty, followed by seven years of famine. So basically what was going to happen in the land of Egypt was going to be a massive drought. Now, it never rains in Egypt anyway, so how do you have a drought in a land where it never rains? Well, the way that you have a drought in a land where it never rains is when you have a drought further to the south. So you have a drought right down through Africa, right down as far as Lake Victoria. That means that the river doesn't flood. So the agriculture in Egypt was managed by the flooding of the river. When the river flooded um, during the flood season, that would provide for their irrigation so that they could grow. And so... Um, uh, Joseph recognizes that there'll be seven years of good flood followed by seven years of no flood. Now, if you're getting no flood, that's a very, very widespread drought. We also know that this drought affected um, you know, the whole area of Palestine, um, you know, right up through the Fertile Crescent, uh, was no longer fertile, and it lasted for seven years. Now, we've just come out of a major drought here in Australia that did not last for seven years. I mean, the, the, the worst of it probably lasted about three years, and it was horrific. You know, we look at the desertification of large parts of Australia um, as a result of that drought, or nearly got there, and we're starting to see some of the gum trees coming back in places where we thought they were all dead. So a severe drought. He knows it's coming, and because he knows it's coming and he's got seven years to prepare for it, he gathers grain for seven years. Huge, enormous stockpiles of grain, the Bible says, and then the drought hits, and he waits, of course, for people to run out of their own stocks of grain, but then uh, uh, Joseph, as the Egyptian prime minister, is in charge of food stocks that can literally feed the world. And so the question that arises then is, what approach does Joseph have to dealing with this situation? Does he take a capitalist approach or a communist approach? Interesting. We will look look at that answer. So in Genesis chapter 41, verse 56 to 57, um, and this is basically a five-step process that he goes through. Step one is that he starts to sell the grain. So anybody um, from either Egypt or surrounding countries can travel to Egypt and buy grain. And historically, this explains the tremendous, the fabulous wealth that Egypt attained, particularly by the time uh, of Moses. You know, you're coming down another three, four hundred years later. Um, Just unbelievable wealth. Uh, And it begins right here. And so the whole world within that region from, you know, Africa, um, Asia is all going to Egypt to buy grain because it's the only place where there is grain. Then what happens is that the people run out of money. Now, that's probably going to take place. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Probably in the first year or so because money, silver, gold, you know, those kinds of uh, commodities 
are you know not widely used in trade and so then they begin to barter for it so in genesis chapter 47 verse 15 to 17 you find that they are bartering um, their cattle so they sell their cattle for grain then next year comes around and they still don't have grain and then they sell their land for grain and when they sell their land for grain what joseph does in verse 21 is to move the people into the city so actually moves them off the land into the cities where he can better provide for their needs um, in a more efficient way because well there's no point being on the land if you can't grow anything anyway and so what we've got here is a system that you would say initially is a capitalist system because the people are not getting something for nothing he's not He's not setting up a welfare state. He's not handing out freebies. He's like, no, we have the grain and we will sell it to you. But it's also placed the people in a very difficult situation because now they have no land. They effectively become slaves. They're effectively owned by the government. They have lost a level of their independence and they're in a position where they're never going to be able to buy that land again. And so here comes step five. And you find this in verse chapter 47, verse 23 to 24. Step five is that he makes the land available to them again. So when the drought is over, he puts them back out on the land. But once again, these are not free handouts because they have received a lot of grain um, over the years and they have sold their land. This land no longer belongs to them. But the land is made available to them for free with a 20% tax. So it's not entirely free, but it's a 20% tax. Now, of course, religious leaders and religious organizations under that system had uh, tax-free status. So Jacob did not forcibly take any land. Um, it was willingly sold for food. Um, he did not give free handouts. He did not create a welfare state. Um, the safety net that he, in, that he uh, created involved labor. This was labor for the government. It would be the equivalent of work for the doll, work for your social security check, etc. that we see in a lot of countries uh, today. And when he did give the land back, make it re-available to them, the tax at 20% is very, very reasonable tax. I wish in Australia we could have tax as low as that. Unfortunately, we do. Okay, so that's the system that Joseph set up in Egypt. Probably a whole lot more history we could give on that. But right now we need to move on. We have this hope that burns within our hearts. Hope in the coming of the Lord. We have this faith that Christ alone imparts. Faith in the of his word we believe the time is here when the nations far and near shall awake and shout and sing hallelujah christ is king we this hope that burns within our hearts, hope in the coming of the Lord. Well, thank you very much for joining me, everybody. It has been great to be with you this morning, and I pray that uh, while you're all on holidays, you're enjoying yourselves. I know I am. Uh, I've got much planned. I'm probably going to be driving, doing a little bit of driving. Uh, 
going to, to see different people, different family. Um, and I know the other guys are having a wonderful time too. I think one thing that's coming up in the new year that, that, that we're all looking excited for is there's going to be some summer camps and uh, where we get to really, we get to go and bond with some, some young kids and, and minister to them and oh, just really get them out to enjoy nature and to have some fun. And to, and to bring them closer to Jesus. And so that's one thing I'm certainly looking forward to. I haven't done it yet, but uh, that is certainly coming up. But no, guys, it's it's been great having you. Unfortunately, we don't have a giveaway for you today, uh, but we will have that when we come back with the live show uh, next week. So when you hear, um, when it's a live show next week, you'll be able to, to get on to the prizes again. They'll be coming in through thick, and fast so make sure that you stick around for that but guys thank you very much again once again for joining me this morning i'd like to also encourage you as you go throughout your day to to study the bible and uh dive into that grow closer to jesus um so yeah remember to talk faith live faith act faith and of course you will go strong in jesus christ god be with you till we meet again Counsel's guide uphold you with the sheep securely for.